Now today I want us to answer uh, this simple question. What is the Christian life and how should we live it? What is the Christian life and how should we live it? We are asking this question today uh, because we are in Colossians chapter 1 verse 2. Last week we looked at verse 1 which says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. We said Paul starts there, doesn't he? By introducing himself to these new followers of Jesus at Colossae. Uh, he has never met them before, right? So he says to them, this is who I am. I am Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We said, as Paul is introducing himself to them, he is also indirectly teaching them how they should see themselves as new followers of Jesus. In verse 1, if you like, Paul is saying to them, this is my identity in life, and my identity is that God has changed my life. I was once Saul of Tarsus, a murderer of Christians, but now I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus. This is my new life now in Christ, and I'm living it to do the will of God, to do what God wants. And because you also, Colossians, are now trusting in Jesus, this is now who you are. Your identity is that you have a new life in Christ. So that's what verse 1 really is getting at. Now in verse 2, Paul now directly introduces the Colossians to themselves. Isn't it? They know who they are, what he says to the, to the saints. And faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In other words, what Paul is saying is, look, now let me tell you about your marvelous Christian life. And we can summarize, I think, what verse 2 is teaching us about the Christian life. It is this. It's saying the Christian life is all about Christ. The Christian life is all about Christ. What is the Christian life about? It is all about Christ. It's not about me. It's not even about you. It is about him. It is about Christ. Now, I am guessing this truth is a truth that the Colossians knew already. It is a truth that if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, you know already. They must have heard sermons and sermons about what the Christian life is about. From Pastor Epaphras, Elder Akipas, Philemon, and others. They must have known this already. But like all of us, they needed to be reminded of this truth afresh. Because you see, the pressures of life makes us forget what the Christian life is about. So maybe you're sitting this morning and say, well, I know what the Christian life is. Why do I need to know it? Well, you need to know it for the same reason I need to know it. Because the pressures of life makes us forget what the Christian life is all about. And so after reading the report, or hearing the report from Epaphras, Paul says, I must put this truth at the start for them because they're going to forget it. I must remind them that the Christian life is all about Christ. Please look with me there at verse 2. And I think there are three truths here Paul wants us to remember about the way the Christian life is all about Christ. The first truth is this. The Christian life is a life in Christ. 
It is a life in Christ. Not outside Christ. It's a life in Christ. Notice the apostasy's direct address to these new followers of Jesus at Colossae by reminding them that they are not like everyone else in the city of Colossae. Yes, they wear the same clothes. They wear the same face masks, as we might say, as their non-believing friends. They shop at the same Colossian malls, same Tesco of Colossae. But from the moment they started following the Lord Jesus, Paul says, they are now living in a new spiritual geography. They are now in the kingdom of Christ. Look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Have you noticed the dual geography there? They are in Christ, location 1, at Colossae, location 2. They are physically in Colossae, but spiritually they are elsewhere in Christ. And also notice that Paul doesn't say, in Jesus. He says, in Christ. Because you see, Christ means Messiah, or God's chosen king. It is God himself entering human history as our reigning king in Christ. So Paul says here, in Christ. He's saying to them, your spiritual postcode has changed now. You are now living in the kingdom of Christ. Now the Bible is clear that not everyone here is in the kingdom of Christ. Not everyone in the world is in the kingdom of Christ. In fact, all human beings enter this world by default under the dominion of darkness. Every person enters this world, you see, carrying the name, the son name, Satan as their father. They are born as spiritual citizens in Satan's house of darkness. They are born, if you like, with a spiritual passport marked eternal citizen of hell. So if you're British, you actually have two passports. You've got a physical passport, which is a British stamp on it, and you also have a spiritual passport. And if you're not converted, your spiritual passport says you belong to the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. That's the default situation of everyone. And like ostriches suffering from Stockholm Syndrome, all human beings, you see, like to honor Satan, their king, with their sin and all shameful works of darkness. And because they live under Satan, all human beings share a dark and frightening future with Satan. They are headed to hell forever with Satan. But God, by his rich mercy in Christ with which he has loved us, he transfers, you see, those who trust in Jesus from the dark domain of Satan into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And Paul later on will make this point in verse 13 to verse 14. If you just scan there in your Bible, Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14, what does he say? He says, he that is God has delivered us, us, that means those who trust in Jesus, from the domain of darkness, 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, freedom, and the forgiveness of sins. Paul is saying, God, by the death of his beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has rescued us from the dark domain, the, do- the darkness of sin, the darkness of Satan, the darkness of hell, the darkness of death. He's transferred us from that reign of darkness and he has pressed us now into the kingdom of Jesus, into the kingdom of Christ. We are now in Christ. And that's the Christian life, isn't it? The Christian life is a life in Christ. It is a life as a new spiritual citizen of our beloved King, the Lord Jesus, who has freed us from our sins by his precious blood. Now, our new citizenship is not like any other citizenship. It's not like the citizenships of this world. When I became British, oh, that wonderful time when I became British, I had to go and swear allegiance to the king, to the queen. And so there I was at Woolwich City Council, uh, in the city offices, there in the council offices in Woolwich. And I'm standing in this large, wonderful room with the portrait of the queen. And I'm raising my hand of allegiance to this portrait. I know, Abednego and these two friends would not be very impressed. I'm wondering what they would make of that. But there I was, <coughs> raising my hand of allegiance uh, to this portrait and uh, swearing allegiance to the queen. Because, of course, she's not there, so you've got to do all of this symbolic, you see. The, the, the portrait of, <coughs> of the queen is symbolic, isn't it? It was saying to me that by me becoming British, I now add a new relationship with the queen and the rest of our realm. I was now a subject. And the queen now looks after me. Except, of course, as far as I know, the only relationship I have with the queen is that I pay my taxes and she lives off them. I'm just saying. That's how it feels from me, right? The truth of the matter is I have never met the queen. And we are not related, as you can see, right? Does the queen love me and my family? How can she? She does not know us. Now, I say that not to upset any royalists here. I, mean, I myself am a bit of a royalist. You may not have guessed that, but I am. But I'm saying that simply to say, as wonderful as Her Majesty the Queen is, as wonderful as it is to be ruled by her, it is nothing compared to being in Christ. When Paul says we are now in Christ, uh, it is not simply a, a statement about our new spiritual location. It is a statement now of a new personal relationship with the king. To be in Christ does not just mean I have a new spiritual passport with heaven now stamped on it. I do. No, but it means more than that. It means I am now a relation of King Jesus. I am not just his subject. I am now in union with Christ. There is now no distance, you see, between me and Christ. And Paul makes this point later on again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. If you flick over the page, you go to chapter 2, you look at verse 9 to verse 10. Here is what Paul says there. He expands on this point of union. 
there. In this famous passage, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, he says this, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, the whole of God, dwells bodily. And you, believers, have been filled in him, that is Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. In verse 9 there, Paul is talking about the union Christ has with God. He says, Christ is God in human flesh. All of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. Christ is God among us. That's verse 9. In verse 10 of chapter 2, Paul is talking about the union that we believers have with Christ. All of Christ, who is God, now lives and dwells inside every follower of Jesus. That's union. This is what it means to be in Christ, you see. To be in Christ means that Christ is God our King, and we live under his rule and authority. And more than that now, Christ lives in us and we live in him. We are now spiritually attached to his divine hip, as it were, forever. Christ in us, Paul would say in chapter 1, verse 27, I think. Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the first way in which the Christian life is all about Christ. It is a life lived in the kingdom of Christ, and it is a life in union with King Jesus forever. And I think when Paul wrote this, the first thing he was expecting these new Colossians to do is to be blown away. To be blown away by this truth. To be blown away with thanks. You see, for Paul, Christ is not just a word. And we know that because just a few verses later, you flip back to chapter 1, where we are at, and look at verse 15 to verse 20 to see how Paul describes Christ. We are so used to knowing this word, Christ, we may miss the point. So Paul defines this word for them. Who is Christ? Verse 15 to verse 20 defines Christ of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. That means Christ is God. Is the firstborn of all creation. That is to say, all things come from Christ. For by him, that is Christ, all things were created in heaven, on earth. Visible and invisible, things you can see and things you can't see came from Christ. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Christ is the agent of creation, is the means of creation, and is the goal of creation, Paul says. And he is before all things. Preeminent, isn't it? And in him all things hold together. Christ, we might say, is the glue that holds the very fabric of the universe. And for us in Christ, verse 18, he is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is to say, he is supreme in the old creation before the fall and during the fall, and he's supreme now in the new creation. 
He's the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. And then verse 19 gives us a preamble of that chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is very God of very God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the great redeemer, the great reconciler, not just of human beings, but of the entire cosmos. Paul says, remember, this is the Christ you now live under. This is the Christ you are in union with. You are in this Christ. You are united to this Christ. You are connected to this Christ. You are under the authority of this Christ. And don't forget where Christ has taken you from. Because we read on, don't we? Look at that. Verse 21 to verse 22 of Colossians chapter 1. Where has Christ taken us from? And he says this, And you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's saying, you once hated this Christ. You you once had your weapons trained at Christ. But Christ, through his grace, has now reconciled you to himself. He has poured out his blood to make you his, to place you in Christ. How else do we respond to all of that? To delightfully lift our hands and praise. To fall on our knees in heartfelt adoration at Christ. So worship and thanks to Christ is the response of which we should have to this truth. And this truth that the Christian life is lived in Christ also means there is no need to add to Christ in our lives. We don't need more than Christ in this world. Or even in the next. No, Christ is sufficient. That's the message of Colossians. And as we go through Colossians, we shall see, this is one of the issues Paul is concerned about. They are being tempted, you see, these Colossians, to add to Christ with loads of stuff. So Paul puts the marker down early, doesn't he? Don't add to Christ. That's silly. You're already in Christ. And he is the full, exhaust revelation of God. And you have him. And the Christian life is about living in this Christ. In this Christ alone. There is no other, says Paul. The Christian life is a life in Christ. That's the first truth. The second truth Paul wants us to say about the Christian life is that the Christian life is a life for Christ. First is a life in Christ. The second way we see is that it's a life for Christ. For Christ. The most important question we must answer every day as followers of Jesus is this. Why are you here? I mean, why has God placed you in Christ? Well, the answer is in verse 2. To the sense and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. We are in the kingdom of Christ, not simply for ourselves, but to be set apart as servants or saints of Christ our King. 
That's why Paul addresses them as saints. The word means, the word sense means to be set apart or to be dedicated or consecrated as holy before God. Uh, this word sense is an echo from the Old Testament, you see, where the priests were set apart for special or holy service before God and his people. And so Paul is saying to these new Christians and us, uh, you are now the new priesthood set apart to serve King Jesus, the Messiah. We might say Christians are like a special dinner set. You know, some of you at Christmas time, perhaps you wrote out that uh, wonderful dinner set you keep for Christmas, right? <laughs> Just, you know, it's, it's good. It's good to have that. My wife does that sometimes. Um, Christians are like that special dinner set in the house, which is only reserved for special guests. Well, our special guest is the Lord Jesus, and we are the saints who have been set apart to save Christ. And notice here that being a saint of Christ is not something conferred by human beings or some pope. You see, this is where Catholics go wrong. They use this word saints to refer to a specific group of people. But that is unbiblical. The Bible here is calling every Christian a saint. It is not something, being a saint is not something conferred by some human authority. No. It is a free gift of God to every follower of Jesus. If you are a true follower of Jesus this morning, you are a saint because God has set you apart as holy in Christ by the death of Christ which has cleansed you from your sins. Now I just want us to pause there just briefly. I just want us to pause and take that in. I want us to consider how amazing King Jesus is to us by this wonderful truth that he has set us apart to serve him. What an incredible and gracious thing it is that the Lord has done. What a wonderful God Christ is. I say that because I was thinking about this. All countries in this world can only permit you to become a citizen of that country if you tick so many boxes. I know. I paid for my citizenship. On top of ticking, just to be clear, I didn't do that fraudulently. I'm just saying that it involved money, right? <laughs> just in case anybody else is listening, right? But I ticked so many boxes. And if I had failed one of those boxes, despite being a civil servant, I'd still not be British. I said that mainly because Mr. Zawon Alvarez, look how much money he had. And I still got there before him. He's still not British. Is he alive? Is he dead? I'm not sure what's happened. But anyway, the owner of Alvarez, he couldn't make it. Right? He failed to take one of the boxes. If you fail one box, there's no citizenship for you in this world. It's not just the UK. All countries are like that. You see, all countries want citizens who will improve their society. That's why Shamima Begum is out in Turkey or Syria. But beloved, that is not the kingdom of Christ. Our king is the king who welcomes the unworthy into his kingdom. 
Christ doesn't set up a long list of boxes to take to enter his kingdom. No, Christ has reached out to those stuck at spiritual kale, as it were. Stuck on the other side. Unworthy rebels who hate his kingdom. The vilest of sinners. And he has set his loving eyes on them. A loving eyes on us to bring us to himself. And he has not just brought us into his kingdom. This truth is saying he has set us apart to serve the king. He has cleansed us and made us his beautiful heavenly citizens. And he now says to us, look, you are mine. You live for me. I'm setting you apart. You are now in my kingdom as my treasured possession for me. That's the gospel. And what a gracious king, therefore, we have, beloved. What a kingdom we belong to in Christ. We have been set apart to live to serve the eternal king, the high king of heaven. And what does it mean for us to live for Christ? Well, in one word, it's the word faithful. That's what Paul says here, isn't it? He says, to the saints who are set apart to live for Christ, and now are they set apart? Well, how are they doing this? Well, they are faithful. They are faithful brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Paul is saying that the Colossians are living for Christ by being faithful. What does the word faithful mean? Well, faithful means trustworthy, reliable, or someone you can trust, right? You can bet your life on them. Their word is bond. If they write you a check, it's not going to bounce, right? They mean what they say. If they're still going to be there, they'll be there, right? The Colossians are faithful, therefore, in the sense that they're staying true to Christ. They are promised to follow him, and they are following him. They are continuing to follow Christ and growing in Christ. We scan our eyes there at verse 3 to verse 8, which we read. We see how they are growing, isn't it? Verse, verse 4 says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. We jump to verse 6. It talks about the gospel they have received. Verse 6, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. You have heard Jesus and you have carrying on serving him. You've been doing it since the day you heard it, since you understood it, and you're pressing on. Just as you heard it from Epaphras, verse 7, our beloved fellow servant is a faithful, just like you, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is saying to them, I know you are really living for Christ because you are growing in serving Christ faithfully. Your faith is in Christ and it is for Christ. And so Paul here is teaching us what it means to be a Christian again, isn't it? To be a Christian means we are in Christ and for Christ. We have been set apart to serve the King. And you and I, beloved, again, especially at the beginning of the year, we need to be reminded of this truth. We know we are in Christ to live for Christ. If you are a born-again Christian, you already know this already. You know you are in Christ, not for yourself, beloved. You know you, God saved you to live for Him alone. But if you're honest, you know your art also leads you to live for yourself. 
We want to live for King Jesus. We really do. And yet we often strangely find ourselves drawn to live for ourselves and the things of this world. This is the struggle of the Christian life. This is the struggle. It is, I would even say, it's a paradox of it. We have such a wonderful king. An, an amazing king. And brought into an amazing kingdom. And yet our hearts are weak. And they are beset by sin. And we are constantly prone to wonder. Prone to leave this wonderful king we love. I recognize this in my life and I'm sure you recognize it in your life. You know you are meant to live for Christ alone. And yet other things are constantly getting in the way. You're saying to yourself, aren't you? I need Christ and I need to look beautiful for everyone else. I need Christ and I need to be married to be complete. If I'm not married, I'm not going to be happy. I need Christ and I need my children to be superstars. I need Christ and I need just my home to function or I'm nothing. I need Christ and I need a better job to get me places. I need Christ and I need those family members who look down on me to respect me. I need to show them that I can succeed, that I can be somebody in life. I know I need Christ, but I need that too. Now, some of these things are not bad in of themselves. To want those things. And the Lord, by his grace, may graciously choose to give us those things. But the problem is that your posture is saying, living for Christ is not enough for me. I cannot live for him without those things. And that means, yes, you are in Christ, and yes, you have such a loving king, but you're not living for your king. Your heart is divided. You don't fit the description of the Colossians here. Faithful brothers in Christ. You are not faithful to the king. You are faithful to you. Your life in Christ revolves around you and your other desires. You only do things for Christ if he helps you have a better job. You attend church only when you are in a good mood. You relate to other Christians only if they are relating nicely to you. You're, you sacrifice very little for Christ because Christ mainly exists to court you happy. And the tragedy is that you think you are living for Christ when in fact you are living for yourself. You are not faithful to Christ. Beloved, you are worldly in your approach. But Christ is gracious. He's a gracious king. And he knows we are still his gracious work in progress. He knows we are prone to forget why we are Christians in the first place. We forget it is all about him. We forget it is all about a life in Christ, which is for Christ. So Christ, in his grace today, has brought you here this morning and is reminding you this wonderful truth. 
And so you as a believer must do what a believer must do, which is you must go to Jesus right away. And you must ask him to show you areas in your life where you are being tempted to live for yourself instead of living for him. And you must do it wholeheartedly with a new determination to live only for him. And remember, because you are in Christ, you are already his. And he is yours. So Christ is willing and able to help you grow for him. And he has brought you in the fellowship with other believers, mature people who can support you to keep your focus on living for him. As a Christian, you can be sure there is always help available for you to live for Christ because you live under his glorious kingdom. And because the Christian life is all about him. It is a life in Christ, for Christ, and by Christ. And that is our final truth, and I'll be quick here. What is the Christian life about? Well, the final truth is the Christian life is a life by Christ. Notice here that after Paul reminds the new believers that they are in Christ and living for Christ, it does the unexpected. For us anyway, because Paul does this quite often, but for us, it's unexpected. What does Paul do? He breaks into a short prayer. Did you notice that? He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. This prayer is known as a benediction. We've met it in Jude. We've met it, I think, also in Peter. It is a prayer to God by Paul to bless the Colossians. And for them to experience more grace and peace from God our Father. Now, of course, Paul knows already that they already have grace. And they already have peace from God. So he knows they have that. But what Paul is praying for now is that God would give them a deeper, even a deeper experience of these things. They would have a more practical experience of these things. What is grace? Well, the original word for grace is charis. It is not just God's unmerited favor. It is God's relentless pursuit of sinners and rebels to bring them to himself without the law. And so therefore, Paul Paul is doing here, he's praying that these new believers uh, would enjoy more of what it means. What it means to live as people who have been welcomed in, who have been pursued by God, the hound of heaven, to borrow from Francis Thompson. God has pursued them as sinners and he has brought them into himself in Christ. And Paul prays that they would know what the wonder of that. They would know what it means to be welcomed by God. That they wouldn't be running off, searching for other things. That they know they have the grace already. What is peace? Paul prays for peace as well, doesn't he? Well, the original Greek word there is irene. In the Hebrew, it is shalom. Shalom means wholeness, so flourishing in every area of life. And so Paul here is praying that the grace of God they have received in Jesus, as it were, would result in them being shalomed, right? Being flourished, being brought to even a greater, deeper wholeness in Christ. That they will be like a well-watered plant in their spiritual life. Everything flourishing provided for for them in Christ. And here's just a quick final point I just want to make. And this is the key point here. The crucial point is this. Paul is praying to God. 
Paul is praying to God to give them these things. Why? Because the Christian life is not DIY. It is not lived by our own effort. It is lived by divine help in Christ. We are in Christ, for Christ, and by Christ. It is God our Father who enables us to live for Christ by His grace alone. So let me just end by saying this, beloved. We have been given such a wonderful supernatural life in Christ. A life in which though we are on earth, we are spiritually safe in Christ. A life in which us and vile and ugly sinners have been cleansed and set apart to serve the King of Kings. To be His faithful sense now and forever. A life in which our King provides for us along our pilgrimage. Provides for us all this abundant grace we need so that we can flourish with Him in this life and in the world to come. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. If you are trusting in Christ this morning, you are born again, this is your life. This is your life. This is what the Christian life is. You have life in Christ. It is a life for Christ. And it is a life by Christ. And the key for you to enjoy this life is to keep remembering this truth. In whatever situation you're in in 2022, let it direct everything you are doing. Perhaps this morning you are currently despairing. Your life seems like it's already falling apart. The year has just started and things are falling apart. This is not a year so far that you had hoped for, right? Beloved, remind yourself of this truth. Say to yourself, yes, I don't know everything that God is up to in my life, but I do know this precious truth. I do know that my Christian life is all about Christ and not about me. I do know I am in Christ. I know that Christ is my God and that he is my king. I know that he has saved me from sin and united me to himself forever. I know that my king loves me because he has redeemed me from my sins by his death on the cross. And he has made me holy and faithful to him. And that he has a great inheritance laid out for me in heaven. I do know that the new heavens and the new earth are waiting for me where righteousness dwells. And I do know that in the here and now, I am not without help because his Holy Spirit is at work in my life, transforming me and making me more like him. And so I know that no matter what 2022 brings, my goal is to serve the king. And I know that his grace will abound for me as I serve the king. Because I am his and he is mine. So in 2022, I do not need to look at my circumstances. Hey, I don't even need to look at others. I need to focus on what the living word of God says. What the Bible is saying to me here, it is speaking of who I am in Christ. And it is saying to me, Chola, your Christian life is all about Christ. 
I am in Christ, for Christ, by Christ, and to Christ my King alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.